This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine boys at Bird Campbell, your Duke-centric law firm with offices in Texas and Florida. Reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and all those other things, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 139-139 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. I will be hosting this week as the Blue Devils have a quiet week after a very busy one last week, and we're going to get into all the stuff that happened there. But first, let me bring in my compadres, my partners in crime. First of all, Sam Klein was in Durham. Sam, I believe you're back in good old Colorado right now, right? That is correct. Uh, we went on winter break uh, a little over a week ago, so I uh, quickly departed Durham for Colorado. I've been skiing with a bunch of my uh, Fuqua friends out here, seeing some old Denver friends, and I'll be headed back next week. So uh, good to have good to have a little time off, and I'm happy to report that my uh, GPA in business school, uh, at least as of now, is is much higher than my GPA in engineering school was. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, so proud of you that you're studying and not partying all the time look, look uh, we don't have to get into that i'm just letting you know <laughs> that, the, that my academic performance has been fine to date congratulations that's wonderful news and donald donald wine is also a member of the team donald you in uh you in uh, dc or are you traveling for the holidays uh i arrived at my parents house in texas yesterday um and so I'm recording live from my room, um, my old, old room, which really wasn't my room because I didn't live here when I was in school. But it's always good to be home for the holidays and uh, ready to talk a little basketball because we had some basketball this week. We did have some basketball this week. And folks, just so you know the rundown of what we're going to have for you, we're going to talk about Texas Tech. We're going to talk about Princeton. We're going to have a little bit of preview of the bowl game coming up. And then we're going to be giving some Christmas gifts We'll be imparting Christmas gifts upon the Duke Blue Devils. But before we get to any of that, we are going to start with the game against the Texas Tech Red Raiders, a really exciting contest that a lot of people in basketball were eagerly anticipating this week because Texas Tech was undefeated. They, uh, they were widely considered probably the best defensive team in the country. They're a team that likes to play slowly. And the question was, could they hold the Duke juggernaut offense in check? They did to a large extent. Duke only scored 69 points, but Texas Tech only scored 58. 58 to 69, the Blue Devils get the victory um, on a neutral floor in Madison Square Garden. Uh, it was a rocking atmosphere. Everyone said it felt like, you know, a Final Four kind of game. Uh, Donald, I will go to you first. Tell me what you take away from this contest. Um, a really important one. A lot of people say this is a preview of what Duke versus Virginia is going to look like this year. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think you you nailed it with the first thing uh, when you talked about uh, how this game felt. Um, I wouldn't say it felt like a Final Four game, but it definitely felt like an Elite Eight game or a late tournament game of some sort because Texas Tech is a really tough team. Uh, and they brought a lot of fans to the Garden. You know, this is normally our home away from home game. Um, but they were talking during the broadcast that Duke wanted to schedule a team that was going to draw some interest late in the year before these guys get off for the holidays and i thought they had a great great draw in texas tech and they had a really good team we have to begin on our end we have to begin with number three trey jones 
because I thought he had his best game as a Blue Devil um, against Texas Tech with his 13 points, his five assists, and most importantly, his six steals because those steals all came at opportune times when we were down, we needed momentum, and he was able to provide that jolt on defense. And even when he didn't steal the ball, he was causing turnovers. He was causing a lot of havoc with his defense. And I thought he had the best output of anybody on the team on both ends of the floor. He was one of the main reasons why we came back um, after being down for so long in the game. I mean, we weren't down a lot of points, but we were down for a long stretch of the game. He was the catalyst in helping us come back and stay on top and, and really drive down the stretch. So we have to really comment. Don, I want to Donald, make sure that I, yeah. I, I love the way you mention how Trey Jones, not just the steals, but that how he was forcing turnovers in other ways. A friend of mine, we were emailing about the game, and he said that Trey was hounding the uh, the Texas Tech point guard so much that at one point the guy looked at Trey and Trey kind of make a, made a stab at the ball, and it wasn't oh. a steal, but but he said the Texas Tech point guard just vomited the ball out of bounds, right? Yeah, <laughs> Which I thought it, was really fun. It was a great. It was late in the game, and it was like you you could sense that he was like looking at. Trey like, oh my God, this guy's coming for me. And he just lost the ball out of bounds for no reason other than fear of Trey Jones. Yeah. And he was doing that a lot too, where, you know, there was a point where Texas Tech was being very efficient on offense and him just knuckling down and really like doing, like you said, sometimes he would try to jump a pass, passing lane. He wouldn't get the ball, but it would scare them almost into shooting the ball maybe 10 seconds earlier than they wanted to, because they figured that if he was going then someone else was coming right behind him and that the, the you know, what has now become the Duke wave on, on transition was coming. And so they would jack the ball up and really play the ball into our hands because we would be able to get the ball and run the floor again. Um, so I think that sort of defensive effort that he put out um, was incredible in the sense that he was not able to get 80 steals, but it seemed like every single possession he was involved in making them miss. Uh, so I, I wanted to point that out. There's one stat I want to bring out before I kick it over to Sam. Jack White, he didn't have uh, his best game, but again, he was all over the place. He made differences in areas that the stat sheet doesn't cover. And this is an incredible stat. Um, he was. We were talking uh, last week about offensive and defensive efficiency on Kempom. Jack White is number one in the country among all. Uh, an offensive rating among major conference players. Number one, the best player in the country in offensive rating, according to Ken Palm, with a 142.9. I, I think that is something that you're probably like, oh, that was probably going to be Zion. That was probably going to be Barrett. Probably going to be one of these other, you know, really good players. But for Jack White to lead the nation, it shows how underrated he is because when you look at his stats, they don't notice that. And Ken Palm is really, I, I'm glad that he's pointing out that Jack White is a very indispensable part of our offense. Donald, does that does that mean that that Jack White is sort of the uh, the the closest thing we have to Shane Battier these days on this team? Yeah, basically, like you know, filling up the stat sheet and even in areas that you can't really compute, he is making a difference for this team on offense. And, and you know what? Honestly, on defense too, he's getting some good rebounds. He got five on Thursday against Texas Tech. He was one of those guys that, again, you get a rebound or he gets a, an and one, the offense, the momentum just kicks up a notch and everyone else knows it's time to go. Uh, so when he's on, like, it, it doesn't necessarily mean 
that you're going to get, you know, 10 and 12 uh, from him. It means you're probably going to get four and five, but those four and five are key moments and help help spur a comeback or spur a, a run that the other team just cannot contain. Uh, Donald, I, I love that you started talking about the defense and specifically about Trey Jones in the post-game press conference. Coach K said that Trey was the difference in the game, which you you clearly agree with Coach K about that. Um, but then K said that his defensive performance, and I quote, was up there with Amaker, Hurley, Wojo, and Duhan. And I think, you know, I feel like I started to go Trey Jones – this is we're we're watching one of the great defensive guards um, in in Duke basketball history, and and we're only you know 10, 12 games into his career, and you can already see what a huge difference maker he is on defense. I I totally agree with Coach K that that this guy is probably the best defensive guard we've seen at Duke since Wojo, you know Duhan, and and, and as a freshman, he may be the best freshman defender ever. I want to talk about a couple defensive things really quick, and then I'm going to kick it over to Sam to talk about the offense. Guys, there were some amazing stats about what Duke has been doing on defense lately. We have now held five consecutive teams, five straight opponents under 60 points. Uh, 60 points. If you can't score 60, you ain't going to win against this Duke team. I don't care how much you slow it down. I don't care how good you are on defense, Texas Tech. You got to get to 60 to have even a chance against Duke, and we've held five straight teams under 60. This Texas Jason, Tech team Jason, we need to the, Jason, we need, yeah. we need to hold that that comment until uh, until Duke plays Virginia in a few weeks. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm yeah, I, I hear you, but I'm telling you, you will not. Duke will score sixty points in every game this year. I know Virginia's going to slow it down. I know Virginia's really good on defense. They will not hold us under. I, I can't see them holding us under sixty. Folks, um, you heard it here and first. Just letting there you, know. you go. <laughs> Bet the over. Um, uh. I, in the last six and a half minutes against Texas Tech, they only scored, they had three free throws. They only scored three points in the final six and a half. They didn't score at all in the final two and a half minutes. Texas Tech had three fast break points the whole game. Three fast break points. We don't give up points, easy baskets. We don't give up points in transition. And we're really hard to score against in the half court. That's why teams aren't scoring on us. And here's the best stat. This is like unbelievable. Since we returned from Maui, PFR Duke, one of our fellow moderators on the bulletin boards, PFR Duke pulled out this statistic, and I have to repeat it for everyone who didn't read it. Since we returned from Maui, Duke has played 474 possessions of basketball, 474 possessions on defense, and we've given up 338 points. That is insane. We are giving up 0.71 points per possession. That's so far and away the best in the country. It's not even close. The closest is Texas Tech that gives up about 0.75 points per possession. But in since we returned from Maui, since that Gonzaga game where they scored on us so easily was seared in our memory, since we turned up the defensive pressure, this Duke team gives up 0.71 points per possession. That's just an absurd, crazy number. All right, I'm done with the defense. Sam, talk about the offense. And and this was an offensive struggle for Duke against against Texas Tech and against the Texas yeah. Tech refs. It, it it did seem it did seem like Duke um, continually was was trying to get into an offensive rhythm against Texas Tech. And the thing that was preventing them from doing so throughout the game, as you sort of alluded to, Jason, was the um, 
the the repeated offensive fouls that Duke committed throughout the game. I think by the end there were seven or eight of them. Zion Williamson fouled out with like four or five minutes to go on an offensive foul, and uh, I'm I'm sure that Duke haters the the world round were excited to watch a Duke game where Duke was being called for all the charges because for many years, of course. That was the uh, that was the opposite, as the Blue Devils were so good at taking charges. But in this game, the the challenge was that Duke couldn't couldn't just drive the ball with abandon the way that they've been able to, especially Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, the way that they've been able to throughout the season. And what we saw here, I think, even though you know Duke's not necessarily going to play a defense as good as Texas Tech, perhaps outside of Virginia the rest of the season. But what we saw here was a little bit of the formula for how to beat Duke by changing the game on them. I think Gonzaga was was playing Duke's game and beat them on that night. This night, if Texas Tech was going to win the game, they were going to win it on their terms. And the lesson that I think the Blue Devils are going to take from this is the need to diversify the offense more. Now, the offense is very efficient. It, it's It's one of the best in the country. The challenge for Duke is that if they face a team that is strong enough to defend the post and and to stand in the way and take charges the way that the Texas Tech was willing to do on a number of occasions, the Blue Devils are going to struggle to score, and they're not certainly not going to be able to play their brand of offense. I think they need to be um, more efficient at at driving the lane, but then kicking out. There were a few of those plays late in the game. I think that the the comeback was highlighted by some of those three pointers. Jack White had a couple of them. Cam Reddish had a couple of them. Otherwise, throughout the game, the threes weren't falling. That drive and kick wasn't really working. Whoa, whoa, for Duke. Hey, 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 hey! Cam yeah. did not have a. Cam had one. Duke hit That's what three. I said, three, I said he had one. Hit, you said he had a couple of them. But oh, yeah, the, no. regardless, the the, the, the the larger <laughs> point is Duke was not hitting their threes, and you're right. That's got to, we only hit 16% from three, but if I can, well, if I can just really quick, I mean, so that was about as bad as you can shoot from three. I mean, there was a very real chance that Duke has some, like some absurd streak of like a thousand games or something or other in a row that we've hit at least one three pointer. You know, it dates back to like before Sam was born or something like that, but (laughs) um, I believe it. Yeah. But, uh, 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 we were in danger of losing that streak. This was as bad as I can imagine us shooting three-pointers. And and we still played a top 10 team, the best defensive team in the country, and we won by by 11. Like, this is as bad as we could shoot from the outside, and we still beat a, you know, a, a Final Four contender by 11. Um, I think there are good things ahead. Yeah. <laughs> look, look I'm, I'm picking nits for the sake of picking nits. I'm not doing it because I think that this is a – that this is a fatal flaw for this team. Um, but it's something that I I imagine we will see tweaks in the offense to as we get into conference play, which is which is coming up next. Uh, amazingly, Duke is is all wrapped up with uh with non-conference play with the exception of that home St. John's game in February. Donald, I'm gonna give you the last word and um I I, I wanna talk about free throw shooting. I mean, we were talking about picking nits. We're talking about weaknesses. One of the things that people have consistently said they were concerned about for this Duke team was, you know, are we going to be able to hit free throws in a close, exciting, tense game where we need to hit free throws? And at least this time, the answer looked like it was yes. Yeah, uh, we went 20 for 25. That's 80% if you're doing the math at home. And and that's something that's 12 points above our normal average of 68%. 68% isn't bad. 
but it's definitely at the end of the game situation, you're, you're taking your chances because, uh, you know, teams are going to foul you and hope that you miss at least one um, because down the stretch, that's kind of how that equals out to be is you're going to, you know, miss three or four. That could be the difference in a close game. But when you're hitting 80% of your free throws, that is a great, great accomplishment. And that's something that this team should always be striving for uh, when it comes to making free throws, because if they're going to make these free throws down the stretch, then teams aren't going to foul them. Uh, and if they foul them, then they're going to say, you know what, we're, we're just giving up two points. Uh, but one note that I also want to talk about was the fouls. You know, we had 17 fouls against, uh, against Texas Tech. I want to say that nine of them were charges. And, and Sam was talking about how many offensive foul calls were against us. Take the charges out for a second because I think they were calling a lot of charges on both, both sides of the floor. Uh, I want to say there was probably 20 or 23 charge calls called in this game. Uh, but to only have after that, to only have like eight fouls in the game on defense, that is another testament to how great they were on defense. You know, usually, you're, you know, if you're getting 10, 11 fouls on defense, 12 fouls, 13 fouls, that's not bad. But to have only eight, that is an astounding number. That means that they were playing excellent defense. They were keeping the guys in front of them. And really, they were picking their moments and executing perfectly. So uh, shout out to the defense again for that stat because if you're under 10 fouls in a game you're doing something right so guys we're gonna move on now to the other game that duke had uh this past week against um princeton a a fine intellectual um university from New Jersey, uh, the Princeton Tigers came down to Cameron. It's the second game that Duke played against an Ivy League school. And uh, this was a really competitive game for a little while. With seven minutes left in the first half, Princeton led 18 to 16. And, um, you know, you, you had to be maybe a little bit worried. I mean, this is not a bad Princeton club. Um, it, you know, it was 18 to 16. And then Duke closed the game on an 85 to 32 run. <laughs> we outscored them 85 to 32 the rest of the way the blue devils end up more than doubling princeton winning 101 to 50 um we are quite the second half team um you guys know that i looked this up you must have a big lead on duke because we are coming for you in the second half duke has only been outscored in the second half twice this year Auburn outscored us by two. And in fairness, it was a close, that was a competitive game. That's one of the, you know, three or four games this year where the outcome has been at least a little bit in doubt. Indiana outscored us by three. That was a game we were winning by 30 at halftime. But uh, against Princeton, we did what we usually do. We outscored them 62 to 24. Wow. That is just a beatdown of all beatdowns. Donald, I will go to you first. What are your takeaways from the Blue Devils crushing the Princeton Tigers. Well, you know, if Thursday was the steal party, um, Tuesday against uh, Princeton was the block party. Uh, we had 14 blocks in that game. And, you know, a lot of the, including one where, um, I know you guys saw it, Zion hit his head on the backboard um, absolutely viciously, and they were comparing it to that night, LeBron getting blocked on a dunk. And most people said that his block was better. So, um, that, yeah. that was that was one of the craziest block shots I've ever said. His I hands, he I, I, you can't even just yeah, you can't even describe how high he got. That was crazy. He took out another player when he landed because he went literally from blocking a, a ball high above the net to 
being completely perfect, uh, parallel to the court and <laughs> taking out one of his teammates and half of the cheerleaders in the process. Uh, I think but, they said, I think they said he lost a tooth or he badly chipped he did, a tooth. He lost a tooth on that yeah. play, which is, and he, he lost a, play. he lost a tooth by banging his head against the backboard. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> they're going to have to, they're, they're going to have to move the baskets for Zion's safety. Yeah, <laughs> basket knew basket knew what he was doing um but uh yeah so you know the block party 14 blocks um that was really what you know turned it around for us against princeton against texas tech it was the steals that led to transition buckets for us against princeton it was the blocks and you know before princeton game we talk about how ivy league teams kind of play similar to each other and i saw a lot of what we saw against yale early on against princeton um and princeton had you know was executing they were hitting threes uh they were you know moving the ball around and being very deliberate about the shots they took and they were making them um they were getting the balls into good positions they weren't taking terrible shots and we just kind of had to settle down and get them to take terrible shots and how we did that was by blocking some of the good shots that they had uh into another stratosphere uh so that was the first step i i loved how we responded um, RJ Barrett didn't have the most efficient game, but he was able to get up and down the floor. He was able to make a couple. He was able to uh, make a couple of big buckets um, in the second half to really start the momentum and and start the pull away. Um, he ended up with 27 points. I think he uh, uh, at that time he was the uh, only player since JJ to have four consecutive 25 point games, um, and he was doing it in every way possible. He was dunking. He was taking. Uh, some long twos. He was taking some short twos. He did make a three, but just that the, the pressure that he gives by shooting those threes, knowing that he's able to make them, was able to draw the defense out, and he was able to take that ball the next possession, go in the lane, get an and one, uh, and really change the course of the game. So I really liked what I saw there. Zion again was a, a, a freak. Um, you know, seventeen and ten, and he it's funny he he went six for eight, and you're like, why didn't you get the ball more? Um, he, he just had a, you know, I think he had to miss a couple minutes when he broke his tooth. Um, it, he also had that moment where he got elbowed uh, inadvertently. He had to sit out and came back with just some, you know, absolute, like, demeanor. Uh, but I, I think those guys, when they are on, they feel the rest of the team on offense. Um, and you saw that against Princeton in the second half. When Barrett was on, everyone was going nuts. Um, Jack White came off the bench, had 10 points. Uh, you know, Alex O'Connell had 10 points. Those sort of guys we're going to need to, you know, produce. Uh, we talked about Jack White already. Alex O'Connell from three-point line especially, when we're having an off night and he can shoot the ball, we're going to be successful. So uh, I really liked what I saw, especially in the second half from our team. But really it was the blocks that started the momentum that turned everything around for us. Donald, yeah, you that, was, that was awesome. I, I don't know how much more I could say about the Princeton game other than the fact that that Duke was, uh, for those first few minutes, as Jason said, it was sort of neck and neck. And I think we said before before that game that perhaps you could chalk that up to them just being off for a while. And and maybe that is a warning to Duke that when Clemson comes into Cameron in a couple of weeks, that they need to be aware of that. Um, they obviously won't have exams again, but they will have the the Christmas break. So uh, I'm sure that Coach K will be on them about about not letting a more talented Clemson team, uh, more talented perhaps than Princeton, um, let them get out to a quick lead 
because uh, that's that's more dangerous when you're when you're playing another ACC squad and uh, and and perhaps a squad that that would have really liked to have Zion Williamson on the team uh, <laughs> this year as as many pundits expected they would. Uh, yeah, and you know the only other thing I would add, I I agree that the the blocks were were sort of the story of the game. Um, uh, Marquise Bolden, by the way, four block shots in fifteen minutes. Um, he is, and and you know the other thing about Bolden, just really quick, because we never really talk about him that much. Um, I think I've noticed he does a great job for a for a big man for a rim protector when he gets switched onto a guard. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're an opposing team, ideally the way you're going to try and beat this Duke team um, when Bolden is in the game is you're probably going to try to get him switched onto a guard. Um, who can, you know, hopefully take him or, or get a good shot, uh, you know, a step back shot or something like that. Um, Bolden does a, such a really, really nice job, um, you know, keeping his his body square and not getting turned around and, and closing out when he needs to and knowing how to block shots. Um, you can't take advantage of him. Uh, and, and I just thought, I thought the defensive effort against Princeton was, was really great. I mean, we had 19, we forced them into 19 turnovers. We blocked, uh, 14 shots. Um, you know, they, they couldn't hit it. They hit some stuff early, but in, you know, in the end, Princeton shot less than 30% from the field, less than 30% from three point range. Um, it was yet another great defensive effort by, by the Blue Devils and, um, and yet another, easy, easy, comfortable win, um, something we're becoming really, really used to uh, and something we probably won't see nearly as much um, now that we're entering ACC season. This episode of the DBR podcast is brought to you, as always, by our fine friends at Bird Campbell. Bird Campbell sent us a message Tucker Bird did for the holidays. He says... Happy holidays, everyone. Merry Christmas. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward all men, but particularly toward those playing for Duke. Go Devils. And so we urge you, please, if you need legal help and you are in Texas or Florida, reach out to Bird Campbell at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. BirdCampbell.com. Bird Campbell means business. So in the next couple of days, the Blue Devil football team will be at it for the final time this season. They will be playing Temple in the, oh, I don't even know what it's called, the Shreveport something or other bowl. It's Sorry, the I Independence should... Bowl. The Independence Bowl. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate that. Independence Bowl. Ah, uh, yes. Sponsored by Walk-Ons. Yes. Ah, okay. What, what are Walk-Ons? Anyone? Uh, Walk-Ons are those guys that come on the team that don't have scholarships and they end up playing. I knew that, but I mean, they they don't have a corporate sponsorship, do they? <laughs> Apparently they do, and we're playing in their bowl, so. <laughs> uh, Donald, the fact that you knew what a walk-on was, no, we all know what a walk-on is, but uh, Donald, please preview for us what uh, what is ahead in this game. Temple has a new football coach, don't they? They do, uh, and, and you know what? They're a pretty good team uh, as well. They're eight and four of the season. Uh, they were seven and one in the American Athletic East Division. Uh, their only loss in the conference came to UCF, which everybody in conference lost to. So that's there's no harm there. Um, they can score some points. They average 35 uh, points a game um, during the season, and they have a thousand yard rusher in Raquel Armstead. Um, Anthony Russo is a capable quarterback, and, and so they're a pretty decent team. Um, and seeing them, they're going to be a tough out. 
what does Duke gang need to do to beat the Owls in a stadium that is familiar to our coaching staff? Well, there's three things. First, they have to control the line of scrimmage on both offense and defense. That's a, that's a given. Doing that on offense will allow our rushing game to take flight and open the game up. And on defense, controlling the line will contain their offensive attack and force third and long situations and hopefully three and out drives. Secondly, they can't give up big plays. We've talked about it our season. Our defense was killed all year by the big play uh, because it really takes momentum away and gives it to the other team. Well, we can't do that. With all the injuries that we sustained, we need to limit those plays and really keep the momentum in our court because I think it really dictates the flow of the game whenever we play. And third, seize the moment. It's a prime opportunity to showcase the Duke team uh, and our program uh, on national TV. Uh, Recruits are watching. NFL scouts are watching. America's watching. This is another chance to showcase our guys. And if we can own that moment, we can take it to the Temple Owls and win our last game of the season. And really, honestly, guys, eight and five is a whole lot better than seven and six. So let's just close out 2018 on the right note. Yeah, as much as Duke has has struggled this year and and have suffered from injuries, they could end the season on a on a positive note. And I think that there's more optimism around this team than there should be more optimism around this team than there is uh, just given that, that most of the season I think was derailed by injuries and not by talent early in the season. Um, Duke Duke took a really good army team uh, out behind the woodshed <laughs> at Wallace Wade stadium. That's how they, that's how they opened the season and army just went and, and set a whole bunch of records in their bowl game um, scoring a ton of points and, and, uh, and, and looking fantastic points. in the process. Yeah. So, um, I think that there's, there's reason to be optimistic about Duke heading into next season. Hopefully Daniel Jones is back for the blue devils and hopefully some of those injuries to key players like Michael Carter, um, are, are resolved and, and Duke gets to Duke gets to redeem themselves next season. So this is the beginning of that coach cut likes to talk about how the, uh, how the bowl game is special, not just because Duke gets another, gets another game to play in, but because they get that extra practice because they get to start thinking about next year. So as much as this game is Duke playing temple in Shreveport, it's also the beginning of the 2019 campaign for Duke. Dudes, guess what? I found out what walk-ons is. Oh, are you ready? <laughs> this is, this is wait, 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 wait. Before, is it like is it like pork rinds or something? Because if they are, then I'm going to go buy some. <laughs> no, Walk-On's Bistro and Bar is a series of restaurants in the state of Louisiana, founded by a former LSU basketball player who was Shaquille a O'Neal. walk-on. No, no, no his name Shaquille was Brandon O'Neal. Landry. Brandon Landry was a walk-on on the LSU basketball team. And so he founded a series of uh, of restaurants called Walk-Ons, um, and they have a three-year sponsorship deal with the Independence Bowl, which was once known as the Poland Weed Eater Bowl. Um, yep. It has it has been the Camping World Bowl, the Duck Commander Bowl, the Petro Sun, and the Advocare Bowl, and now now it is the Walk-Ons Bistro and Bar Bowl. Okay. Independence, but the, the the independence, but it's always been the independence. It's always been the independence. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's true. That's true. Yes. So now we know what walk-ons is, and I'm sure that any Duke fan going to this game will probably want to check out walk-ons bistro and bar. I um, wonder if they have, you know, how they have uh, some of the team competitions when it, it a food is involved. Like I think the Buffalo Wild Wings used to sponsor a bowl in 
in the Bahamas and they used to have like a wing off between the teams. I wonder if they're going to go to a walk-ons bistro and bar and have some sort of whatever off like gumbo um, competition or something. Um, that would be interesting to see uh, when they, when they air it. Cause they always do those during the broadcast. Um, they always show the competitions that they have associated with the bowl games. That I know that fun. at the, I know that at the Outback Bowl they have they have a mascot that's dressed as the Bloomin' Onion. Yeah, it's the greatest one. Of, one of the greatest <laughs> ones. It's, it's dressed as a Bloomin' Onion. That's yeah, great. It's a, it, it's a person in a Bloomin' Onion suit. So that's uh, that's really impressive. Now I know what I'm going to be for next next time for Halloween. I'm going to become a Bloomin' Onion. All right, gentlemen, it is the holiday time of year, and even though two-thirds of the podcast team celebrates Hanukkah instead of Christmas, we are going to do Christmas gifts for the Blue Devils, and I want to stress something. These are just stocking stuffers. These are not big, huge gifts. It's not like this team needs Trey Jones to turn into Kyrie Irving or Marquise Bolden to become Sheldon Williams. Put another way, we, we don't need someone to pull a Shane Battier junior year and suddenly out of nowhere become a huge scorer or a Zubek senior year and turn into the best offensive rebounder in a generation overnight. These are just small stocking stuffers that this team needs. Um, And by the way, you are not allowed to give the team health. That is an obvious gift. That is the first thing we're putting in the stocking stuffer that everyone on the team should stay healthy. Everyone, that's an obvious one and everyone gets to root for that. Everyone wants the team to stay healthy. So, other than health, what are your stocking stuffers? Sam, I'll start with you. So I we, we've been watching this season as Zion Williamson in particular, but also RJ Barrett have sort of taken this team by storm and have been the offensive force. Jason, you've talked about, uh, but Jason and Donald both talked about today about how great Trey Jones has been on defense. I want that fourth freshman. I want Cam Reddish to to blossom into the into the great player that we expected him to be at the beginning of the season. And I know that shooting is one of the things that he could obviously improve on. The thing that I want to give Cam Reddish, though, is um, is smarts in the lane. Because he he gets, he, like, R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson are both good at going to the rack. And, and obviously, Texas Tech exposed a little bit of that. Um, of the danger of, of driving too much with the with the charges. I want to see Cam Reddish be able to take the ball inside and either score confidently because there are a lot of times where he gets in the paint and it seems like he becomes lost or be able to, to kick out efficiently. I think that he's got the size and he's got the agility to be a really great driver. And I want, uh, I want that to come together for him because that's what's going to make him uh, effective this year at Duke and then also long-term in his NBA career because at his size, he should be able to do a lot of things on the basketball court. I like it. Uh, and I will be coming back to that when it's time for me to give my gift. But first, Donald, what are you stuffing the Duke stocking with? Uh, so I am giving uh, our team a 72% free throw percentage. Why 72%? Well, right now we're pretty decent. We're at 68%. Uh, but 72% is closer to you know where a team should be. You know, a team uh, from high school on, they teach you that you want to probably be in the 75 to 80% range as a basketball team shooting free throws because at that point, nobody's going to stop you. 72% is just below that, but it's going to basically create two to three more made free throws on average per game. 
And if you remember, our only loss was by two points. That would have been a difference. So I think when we're talking about our team, the one flaw that we've been asked, you know, worried about with regards to uh, uh, our offense is either three-point shooting or a free-throw shooting. Well, I think our free-throw shooting, if it comes around, it won't matter because at the end of the games, that is where championships are made. And if we can get to 72%, I think we're looking at a championship basketball team. So for my uh, stocking stuffer for the Blue Devils, um, I, I'm, I'm sort of similar to what Sam brought up. Uh, I, I want to focus on, on Cam Reddish, um, and I, but I'm going to go for his outside shooting. Um, uh, we, we've seen, you know, the past several games, uh, Cam started the year hitting a lot of threes and, and it just seemed effortless for him. Um, and, and the past few games, he's been struggling a lot more. His three point percentage is down to about 35% now. So my stocking stuffer is for the rest of the season, Cam Reddish will hit 40%, um, or better of his three pointers. Um, I think if Cam is hitting, you know, two out of every five, three pointers he takes, this this Blue Devil team will 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 win, if not every single remaining game, they will win pretty much every remaining game, and they will win a national title. Cam Reddish, um, you know, getting uh, getting a little more from the outside from the from long range is really the the only thing I see this team missing um, because they've become such a, a great defensive team. They are so good taking the ball to the basket with RJ and Zion. So if we can balance that with some outside shooting, um, I am gifting the team a 40% three-point shot from Cam Reddish. And as a result, I think I'm gifting them a national title. Guys, it's time for our Player of the Week picks. Um, we are getting ready to wrap things up. Player of the Week, parting shot. That's what we got coming up. So we will start with Player of the Week. And Sam, I will begin with you. Who takes the honor? Uh, I mean, the big game this week was Duke's game against Texas Tech. So uh, with apologies to all the production that we saw against Princeton, I'm going to focus on the Texas Tech game. And I don't think you can you can say Duke wins the Texas Tech game without the contribution of Trey Jones. Um, as Donald talked about extensively when we were recapping that game, both sides of the ball where he was uh, distributing uh, on offense, but but in particular on defense where he was just harassing Texas Tech uh, outside the arc, not allowing them to get into their offense, especially down the stretch. My player of the week is Trey Jones. It's a, it's a great choice, and I, I want to give you a great Trey Jones stat. Um, so Trey had 13.6 rebounds, five, uh, sorry, six steals, five rebounds, five assists. Um, it is only the 15th time in Duke history, only 15 times in Duke history has someone had a 10-5-5-5 game. You know, 10 plus points, 5 plus steals, 5 plus rebounds, 5 plus assists. The other players to do that, it's like a who's who of, of the greats. I mean, like Dunleavy, Duhon, Justice Winslow, Grayson Allen, Wojo, Leitner, Ferry, Johnny Dawkins, Kenny Denard, friend of the podcast. Kenny Denard has done it. Grant Hill did it twice. But for Trey Jones to be in that company with those guys, really impressive. Um, uh, but uh, he's not my player of the week. I'm not going to reveal my player of the week until after Donald tells us his player of the week. Uh, well, it's going to be at least two for two until you name your player of the week because I'm also going with Trey Jones for everything that uh, that Sam said, 11, point, 11 assists on the week, six deals against Texas Tech, really the big key there. One turnover, um, and, and we were shocked at that turnover because he rarely turns the ball over, it seems, these days. So, uh, But the, really for the defensive end effort that he gave against Texas Tech, that was uh, why I'm giving it to him. So Trey Jones, tip of the cap to you. 
So for my uh, player of the week, I, I'm not picking Trey Jones as great as he was. I'm going with Zion Williamson because there was a moment. I mean, Zion had a great week. <laughs> you know, he's he's putting up double doubles like they like they you know every single time he steps on the floor, it seems like he's he's putting up a double double. Um, but there was a moment against Texas Tech with 12 minutes left in the game. We were down five points at the time, and uh, and it felt like all the energy was on their side of the ball. Um, you know, it just felt, I thought the game was going to start to get away from us. We'd been down most of the game. Um, and like I said, we're down five and we had an offensive possession. We took a shot and Zion went insane beast mode on the offensive glass. It was like, it was like, no one is getting this ball, but me. And he got three consecutive rebounds where he just wanted it way, 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 way more than anyone else. Um, and, and he ended up getting fouled, and the whole team, you saw the bench get up. Everyone just, it, it lifted the entire team's spirits. Um, and, you know, for, for, a, for a guy to do that single-handedly, we see him do it all the time. He's, he, he is a phenom. He's a force of nature. After the game, all anyone could talk about was whether or not the Knicks were going to, whether or not he's going to be playing 41 games in the Garden next year for the Knicks. I mean, the New York papers are just... They're absolutely going gaga over the possibility that they might, maybe they have a 20% chance of winning the lottery or something like that and getting this guy. He He's he's unreal. Um, and he had a great week. As great as Trey Jones was, I thought Zion's week was a little more consistent. And it's just, <laughs> so my player of the week is Zion Williamson. Jason, I love that you brought up that moment in the game because it was right around then with about 12 minutes left in the game where Duke started to come back. Uh, they were, like you said, they were down about five points. I think it was with, a, with like when they were down three points with about 11 minutes left, I turned to my friend who I was watching the game with. And I said, you know, as much as Duke has struggled today, this doesn't, this feel like one of those games where Duke is going to win by 10 or 12 points. And sure enough, the blue devils rode that little momentum shift right into an 11 point win that, that wasn't really competitive for, you know, the, the last two minutes of the game, it, it felt eventually it became inevitable but but this was a a neat turnaround from what we've seen from duke teams in years past where they're up by a few points with like five six minutes left and it's like oh gosh now they have to hold on this team it doesn't feel like that and jason you mentioned it with the um with, with duke's ability to to hold on in the second half this is a this is kind of a new phenomenon for 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 duke yeah. <laughs> it's great fun i love it I was going to give uh, an honorable mention to Zion Williams' tooth in memoriam. <laughs> Our tooth of the week. Tooth of the week goes to the, the tooth that Zion Williamson lost on the Duke backboard. <laughs> All right, guys, it's time for parting shots. Donald, I'm going to let you uh, tee us off. Get going first. What is your parting shot? Okay, guys, so I was watching basketball uh, on Friday night, um, packing up to come down here to Texas to visit my parents, and I ended up stumbling upon a video game on TV, and that video game was Marcus Howard and Marquette. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw this game that they had against Buffalo on Friday night, but uh, Marcus Howard, um, who plays for Marquette, uh, Wojo, um, our boy Wojo, coaches there, uh, he had five points at the end of the first half and by all accounts was having a pretty terrible game for 
uh, uh, Marquette. He's one of their best players. He's their point guard. He's their he's their scoring. Um, in the second half, he apparently had something said to him uh, right before the second half started by Wojciechowski. And Wojo, I don't know what he told him, um, but it worked because Marcus Howard went on to score 40 points in the second half, literally missing maybe two shots the entire half. And I'm talking anything from layups to 30-foot threes fall away being contested by two guys. He was hitting everything. It was incredible to see them, uh, to see him just go off like that. Um, and every single you, you could could not help but get captivated by every single time he came down the floor with the ball to see what he was going to do. Marquette ended up beating Buffalo, uh, one hundred three to eighty five. Um, but he scored at one point seventeen straight points for uh for Marquette uh, down the stretch, and was just literally every time. Every time they had a possession, it seemed like he got the ball and hit a three or had an in one or some shot that was just absolutely ridiculous um, to watch. But it was his second 45-point output of the season. He had one against Kansas State, another game that Marquette won. Look for Marquette to really make some noise in the Big East this year. They may be the Big East best team, and it's because Marcus Howard decided he was going to play like a video game. So shout out to him. Donald, I- you know, I know that you didn't look at the messages before that we send each other before the game because I had said that my parting shot was going to be <laughs> uh, Mark. Mark, It's okay. My parting shot was going to be a combination of Marquette and Arizona State. So I'm doing my parting shot now. And rather than talking about Marquette, I'm going to talk about Arizona State because uh, the other uh, prominent Duke um, Coach K protege out there is Bobby Hurley. Um, and Arizona State may have established themselves as the best team in the Pac-12, which isn't saying that much. The Pac-12 may only get one or two bids to the tournament. The Pac-12 is just awful. But Arizona State looks like the best team in the Pac-12. They beat Kansas this week at home. Um, now, look, Arizona State, they're only number 43 in Ken Pomeroy and in the, the net. Um, but uh, beating Kansas is a resume-making kind of win. Last year, we, folks, you probably recall the, uh, the Arizona State Sun Devils, Bobby Hurley's team, started out really strong. They were one of the last undefeated teams in the country. They were ranked in the top five at one point, and they really faded, really faded late in the season. They only made the tournament as a number 11 seed. They played in the play-in game. I think they lost. Um, hopefully, this season won't be the same way. Hopefully, they can build on where they are right now. Um, I, I think it's fairly likely that they will be ranked um, or at least come close to being ranked uh, in the next voting in the poll. But um, my parting shot is a tip of the hat to both Wojo and Bobby for big, big, big wins. Um, I know you talked about Marcus Howard, but for that Marquette win, to me, the significant thing is beating that Buffalo club. Buffalo is for real. Mm-hmm. Buffalo had won at West Virginia and at Syracuse. You won't. You probably won't find road wins, two road wins by any team as good as at West Virginia and at Syracuse at this point in the season. And that's what Buffalo had done. Um, they were number 11 in the net. They are top 25 Ken Palm team. And for Marquette to take them down, very impressive. So my parting shot, thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Wojo, for uh, for bringing some 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 good stuff to the, the, the Duke coaching tree this year. And Jason, do you know what? Bobby actually might have given Duke. He might have given us a number one ranking entering Christmas. So thanks, Bobby. I love it. I love it. Sam, you are up. Final parting shot time. Tell me what you got. 
uh, I'm going to do a continuation from my previous parting shot. I told you guys about my my friend, the the big new Duke fan. Uh, she texted me late after the Texas Tech game to tell me that she was on YouTube watching highlights from the Duke Maryland 2001 game. And I had I, I said this to you guys previously, but for everybody else's knowledge, I said I said uh, which one is it the the Miracle Minute? Is it the comeback in the Final Four? That there were a lot of good. Uh, games between Duke and Maryland in 2001. So she clarified it was the the miracle minute, and all she had to say was "Wow." Uh, so um, uh, Duke fans, if if you are if you are relatively new to watching the program and you don't know much about Duke's history, uh, I know that we've talked in the past about trying to educate me on basketball from the 70s and 80s. Go back and watch uh, <laughs> Duke's comeback against Maryland in, in 2001 in Cole Fieldhouse. That is that's a great one and uh, should not be missed. You you call it the miracle minute. All the rest of us, I'm surprised. All the rest of us merely know it as gone in 54 seconds. Gone That's what it is. Yeah. The, Look, their, their it, lead it's good was, enough to they have. They had a big games. lead, and it was. Yeah. Yeah, they had a big lead, and that lead was gone in 54 seconds. It's, uh, that, that, Spoiler that alert. Still just. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're a Duke fan, go watch one of these games we lost. No, this is a game we ended up winning, and and a very very fun one. Well, the thing why we call it gone right, in four is because of the movie that had just come out like three months prior, gone to 60 seconds. It, it fell in perfectly. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that is going to do it here on the uh, DBR podcast, the Christmas edition, episode number 139. We had a very, very fun time talking about the Blue Devils victories over Texas Tech and Princeton. Um, folks, we'll be back right around New Year. Uh, we'll we'll recap the uh, football bowl game that's coming up. We'll also do, be doing a special ACC season preview uh, where we will be talking about surprises from the ACC and what we expect from the ACC as the, the season is ready to launch, the real season is ready to launch in, uh, in just about a week or so. Until then, for Sam in Denver, for Donald in Texas, I am Jason in Atlanta. Duke Band, take us home.